Daryl. Tell who the unkind people are because they actually laughed when those people fell. Shame on you. That is terrible. But seriously, uh, Malcolm Gladwell says this. Some of you saw this in the Pulse this week. Incompetence annoys, overconfidence terrifies. And in his ar article about this, he's written some books on this. He talks about during the Civil War, uh, one night when the uh, Northern Army was getting ready to, to do battle and they had double the soldiers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the general was so confident. They had a delightful meal. And this general actually was one of the first uh, military people to do recon. And he had balloons and all this kind of stuff going on. And uh, information started to come in that uh, Lee's army had retreated and then were regrouping, and he just ignored it. And the next day, uh, the northern army got, uh, got spanked pretty bad uh, because he had ignored all that and that overconfidence. Even they were doing their celebratory dinner before the battle as they were starting to lose the battle. And that's what's interesting is later on, uh, General Lee thought the same thing. He had had this victory, so he was overconfident, and then he had Gettysburg. So overconfidence uh, ought to terrify us, especially when it comes with someone who has power and has control. Uh, medically speaking, when you have somebody working on you and they're overconfident and they're going to go in and do their thing, uh, that should terrify you. Uh, when somebody just doesn't have their act together and uh, it's, it's incompetence, that can annoy. But the more power, the more authority, the more, quote, unquote, ability, uh, and they are overconfident, that just uh, should terrify you. Um, it's interesting that uh, men seem to be more overconfident than women for whatever reason. And uh, this isn't pleasant to think about, but uh, out of uh, – Four out of five drownings usually take place by men because men are confident and they don't think they're going to have a problem and they end up having a problem. And so it's just kind of interesting, which makes me think of uh, these little clips. You've seen some of these things before in different venues, but the idea of uh, just why men don't live as long as women and you have some of these things that they're doing. They're just a little overconfident. I mean, what could go wrong? Uh, this guy, that's amazing, and uh, the guy <laughs> looking out under the icicles, and uh, we got this guy working on heat. Hopefully, those two guys on the other side don't let up. Uh, this guy it just amazes me that uh, he's uh, very nervous about uh, falling, so this is where he's tied the rope around. Can't make this stuff up. And uh, here is a guy that needed a table to saw on, and uh, nothing bad's going to happen there. And, of course, that then reminds me of this guy.
the sticks, because they can put your eye out or they can ignite your forearm. Help, would you help me there? You get the idea. Overconfidence. And those of us who have said yes to Christ, who have been around the block for a little while, need to ask ourselves, are we overconfident? And we're going to see that some of the blessings that God brings into our lives make us a little bit feel like we're invincible, make us feel like we're a little uh, not uh, protected or we are protected, and it creates an overconfidence. And when you and I use whatever uh, spiritual influence we have, and we use it in an overconfident way, we can leave a wake of destruction behind us. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have confidence. If you and I didn't have confidence, it would be difficult to live. But there's that tipping point where it goes from being confident to overconfident. And some of the hot topics we're going to be talking about in the weeks to come, you know, too hot to touch, society says we should leave those in the shadows and not mention them, and we're going to talk about them. But some of the reason we have so many problems with some of these too hot to touch topics is because when we began discussing them years ago, we came in from a position of self-righteousness, arrogance, overconfidence. And so sometimes we wonder why we get the pushback we do from society when we say, wow, we think we're drifting a little bit away from what God would intend, and they put up roadblocks, and they come back at us really hard. Some of that is we created that environment 20, 30, 40 years ago. And you're going to see is when we get into talking about these uh, specific subjects, uh, we're going to be doing this over four uh, segments throughout this year. We're, gonna, we're laying the, um, the matrix down of how to look at these things, and then we'll start getting into them, get into two of them before we get to Christmas time, and then we'll pick them back up in, in the first of the year. Uh, you're going to notice that often when I start to discuss these things, I start from a position of uh, apology. I apologize to the way we address many of these subjects in an unloving, unkind way while still being able to hold on to what we believe and what we think is accurate. So, you know, this is, this is important stuff. Our tone is so important. So our overconfidence, how we present and how we look at things is, is, just, is just really important because as Christ followers, and those of us, again, who have had a little experience of this know that this is the age of grace. We're not under law and and so how we present that and communicate that is so important. I love the way Eugene Peterson uh, paraphrases 1 Corinthians 10, 23. Uh, looking at it one way, you could say anything goes. But because of God's immense generosity and grace, we don't have to dissect and scrutinize every action to see if it will pass muster. But the point is not to just get by. Often we as Christ followers start to think about how close can we get to, in a sense, the third rail without getting electrocuted. And then some of us have gone the other extreme 
and we don't even want to get close, so we create all these ideas, all these rules that keep us a mile away from that third grade. Either side is, is over the top. So it's not just about getting by, it's just about how close, what can I do before it becomes disobedience, before it becomes sin. And it's not, let's just stay so away from it that we, we don't do anything outside of this little box. There's, there's some kind of system, some kind of grid work to look through and think about that. And that's why we've been looking at this, and you're going to see this come up again and again. In a few weeks, we're going to have a little bit of like a, a flow chart to look at. But just the idea of asking ourselves when we're making these decisions, when there are these options for us, we have to ask ourselves, are they a command? And if they're a command, that settled it. Is it a conviction? And we've talked about how to determine whether it's a conviction that's, that's much stronger than a matter of conscience. But then when we get into these areas of matter of conscience, we will find even in a room like this, there are people with different matters of conscience. They can do things you can't or vice versa, and that's okay. You don't superimpose your matters of conscience on somebody else. That's called legalism. And uh, you'll find that especially if you're raising young kids, there'll be things that are allowed in your home that are not allowed in somebody else's home and vice versa. And you need to teach your kids this is a matter of conscience just because the Joneses do that or don't do that, that is okay. You can't look down on them. You can't have a overconfidence of arrogance when you're looking at what they're doing. And uh, though that area, is, it's funny, is almost more divisive. Well, it is more divisive than the first two. And then there's conjecture. Is it wise for you to do? And there can be all kinds of things where you do research and think things through, and you say, is it wise for you? And it might not be wise for somebody else, but it's wise for you or vice versa. And you can't get hung up on those kinds of things. And then obviously there's choices that are as simple as even saying, just for the fun of it, ice cream, you know, coffee or um, strawberry ice cream or, or wherever you're going with that. So, so as we look at this, as we unpack this, we want to make sure that we're using our options wisely. Uh, God gives us free will, so you actually have the option to follow a commandment, even though it's a commandment. He doesn't make you or I do anything, and so it's free will, free choice. He won't make you follow him. Uh, it's your choice, So, but we have options in these things, and uh, so we need to be thinking about that and how we interact with the world around us. In uh, 1 Corinthians 10, uh, he starts to unpack, Paul starts to unpack some of these things, and in verse 12, he says, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, don't be so naive and so self-confident you're not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence. That was the overconfidence. It's useless. Cultivate God-confidence. And what we're going to see is Paul paints a little bit of a picture of the history of Israel and Judah, and the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, and what happened with them with getting freed from Egypt and all those kinds of things. And they saw all these miracles firsthand, yet it didn't seem to impact all of their hearts. There were actually people that walked across the Red Sea, saw that miracle, and 
never really said yes to God. They were culturally an Israelite, culturally a part of God's chosen people, but it hadn't had an impact on their heart. And that, that's, that's a wake-up call to us. You know, we raise our families, raise our children. We can be a part of a church like this. And we have to always be asking ourselves, am I a cultural Christian or am I really a heart-driven Christian? And, uh, you know, as your kids get older, you just keep being a little nervous or a little bit aware. I remember when our girls were in their teens and they seemed to be following Christ fairly well and people would kind of like pat me on the back and I'd say, well, let's wait till they're 25 before we decide whether they're really all in. And now that they're around 25, I'd say, let's wait until they're around 30. You know, it just keeps going and going and going because we all know those stories. So, um, but again, this idea of cultural Christian versus real Christian. So uh, the Israelites demonstrated this. And again, sometimes you and I, I, I've thought about it. Boy, man, if I could just see like one real life miracle, like, like, you know, I, I've seen, I see changed hearts, and yes, that's a miracle, but I mean like a, uh, you know, you know, something like parting the Red Sea or, or something like that, then, then my belief, even though I have belief, would be so much stronger. But what's amazing is these people had front row seats to miracle after miracle after miracle, and yet they didn't own wasn't there. So that's a that's some a warning for all of us. So we need to make sure we're not so overconfident we get into all kinds of problems. Because again, you saw those little vignettes and that's all funny and ha 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 ha. But when you and I are overconfident when it comes to our spiritual life, not only does it affect our life, but it affects those around us. And so we're going to see first of all the overconfidence based on God's goodness. Again, Israel experienced God's goodness, and yet it created a overconfidence, a um, I deserve this, uh, an entitlement, and even with all of that, it really didn't work its way into their hearts. Uh, we're going to be landing mainly in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 4. Uh, if you want to follow along in a paper Bible, uh, there are Bibles around you, and it's a page 798. And also, if you don't have a paper Bible, but you want a paper Bible, you can take that as a gift from Seneca Community Church. Uh, we'll also be looking at different translations. We also advise you, if you have a smart device, to, to get um, version, which is a Bible app, and you can pick the translations, and it's, it's very helpful to have that. I, I use that on my phone and on my computer. Uh, it's, it's excellent. So. so as we look at this, we start off with this overconfidence based on God's goodness. Paul writes, for I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And we get to the idea, what is going on? We see in verses 3 and 4, they ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. So how are we going to break this down? First thing I want to break it down to is that they were, first of all, freed to follow. They were captives in Egypt, 
and they were freed to follow. God made a way, Red Sea, ten plagues. You can go back and and look at those and, and think about that. But they were not just free to be free, they were free to follow. And if you've said yes to Jesus, if you've acknowledged your need for forgiveness and that Christ paid the price and he died on the cross and rose again, and now you are freed from the penalty of your sin. You now have eternity in your heart. The Holy Spirit lives within you. He guides you. You're not free to just be free. You're not free to just go, wow, at least I have, quote, unquote, fire insurance, so I won't go to hell when I die. No, you're freed to follow. And I don't know if the Israelites ever got that concept, the majority of them. They were freed but it was free to follow. And at every intersection, it seems like they, they, they bucked the, the, the following part, even to the point when Moses goes up to get the Ten Commandments, the tablets, and he's up there for 40 days, they get a little nervous, and they talk Aaron, who easily agreed, to make a golden calf so they could say this golden calf is the one that delivered them from Egypt because they, they, they were going to follow that rather than following God. You and I are freed to follow. And if you're not a follower, I think you need to ask the question, have I really been free? There should be some fruit in our lives. Again, we don't earn our salvation, but, but there should be some kind of indication your wiring, your operating system for life has been touched by God, and if it really has been touched by God, there should be differences in the way you behave. Not because behavior is the, is the litmus test, it's because if I've been touched by God, it should change my behavior. So are you really freed to follow. And sometimes following is hard. It's not always easy. So it's not follow to go down the, the primrose path and, you know, it's all it's wonderful and all of that kind of thing. It's, it's to follow him where he would have us to go. And yes, in the background of our minds, we're following him, trusting him, and we know that he's bringing us into, quote unquote, a spiritual promised land. Uh, we'll realize that most definitely when we move into the next chapter of life, eternity. We walk with him arm in arm through this life and cross over into eternity arm in arm. But uh, we, we follow him even when it is hard. And that's what they're talking about here. I don't want you to be ignorant. Uh, we're under the cloud. And there was a cloud at in the daytime and there was a pillar at night. And they followed him. And if you read the story, the minute that cloud, that pillar would move, they got up and moved. They had an order to moving it. It was the 12 tribes. It was quite the event. Uh, it's thought that there was over a million, maybe even up to six million people, and they traveled. It was all organized, and uh, it was just a great thing to do. And sometimes they go, wow, wouldn't I like that? If I just kind of lived life and, oh, the cloud, you know, it's moving. I guess I got to move. Oh, the pillar is moving. I guess I, it, wouldn't that make things so much simpler? Then again, I would believe so much easier. The Israelites had that. And they took God's blessing and showed contempt for it. They were, oh, that's just a cloud. I mean, can you imagine coming into the area and not, you know, you're a new person and 
And if you look through the Old Testament, you're going to see that there were entry levels, there were on-ramps for people outside of the community of Israel to enter into that. You can look at it. They could join. And, and if you were a person like that, you said, oh, man, I found the one true God. I want to get on in, get in this bus and go along with this. Those people would be like, this is unbelievable. You have a, a cloud that leads you during the day and a fire. This is amazing. And it's always there. And that just reminds me that God's presence and everyone's going, oh, yeah, yeah. Don't you have a cloud? Don't you have a thing? You know, it's just, it's just like, hey, you know, you know, you know, don't you have a Bible? Oh, yeah, we got a Bible. I got like a zillion translations. I got like 20 of them in my house. And, yeah, yeah. you know, again, free to follow. And I just kind of explained this. The Lord led the way. During the day, he used the tall cloud to lead the people. And during the night, he used the tall cloud of fire to lead the way. The fire gave them light so they could tr also travel at night. And uh, those of us who know the scriptures, Psalm 119 talks about this. Jesus is the light. This idea that we have a light and it shouldn't be so confusing traveling through this life. If you and I slow down, back up, spend some time with God over a period of time, we have the light to make the decisions that we need to make. It's not impossible. God doesn't make him, it's not supposed to be hard and agonizing. Usually when it's hard and agonizing, at least in my life, I'm sure it's not this way in your life, it's because I'm bucking the system. It's because I don't want to do it. I don't want to, I don't want to be freed to follow. So it's not that I'm getting any miscommunication. It's like, mm, mm, convince me, make me feel good about that. And I, I know, you know, what I'm supposed to do. And a part of this is God's presence. God is keeping careful watch over us in the future. The day is coming when you'll have it all, life healed and whole. And again, that's that promise of eternity. And uh, next week when we celebrate communion, we talk about a new heavens and a new earth. It's just not heaven. God is going to revamp everything. There's great discussion whether he starts completely over or if he just takes the core of earth and makes it into the place he wanted it to be. And we will be healed and whole. And the sense with that is that our soul will be completely healed and whole. So we will not have to deal with this thing called the human condition, which messes it up because we're prone to do what we want to do which is sin, and that will be eradicated. So there's someday that's going to happen, and he's watching over us, he's aware of us, and the day is coming when we will be healed and whole. So we hold on to that, and so that we were freed to follow. Also, there's this idea of being rescued to race. Freed to follow, rescued to race, to run the race. To live the life that he's called us to live. There's something about our life. There's something that uh, we can offer when we talk about being a Christ follower. We talk about a local church, a group of Christ followers. This isn't by accident. We are here because God has given us a mission and we can do more together than separate. One of the reasons we have the next class is just to kind of crack open the door and say, where would you fit in this place? Uh, the church is a big puzzle. All of us are pieces. 
And when one of the pieces is empty, the puzzle is not that satisfying to look at. So each of us have a role to play. It's not by accident. It's because we all have something to offer. It's all different. It's who we are, who he's making us to be. It's a beautiful thing. So we're rescued to run this race. We read in Galatians, may the God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. And I want to tell you, if you're missing the feelings of grace and peace, that may be that you're not engaged with running the race. God is never going to let any of his children feel great about not engaging in running the race. All of us have been there. We don't feel great about running the race, so we don't like the race. We want a different race, and we chase after other things, thinking that those things will solve the grace and peace in our life. And we find that that new thing, that different thing, that whatever thing, uh, you know, for a little while kind of satisfies, but then it doesn't satisfy anymore. It's because that's not the race we were rescued to run. We know the meaning of those words because Jesus Christ rescued us from this evil world we're in by offering himself a sacrifice for our sins. God's plan is that we all experience that rescue. He wants us to all experience that, and he wants us to live as a rescued people. I'm told that when, some, when it's generational slavery, generational slavery, and uh, people are freed, it's really hard for them to get out of that mindset. And it's even thought back with Israel. They had been slaves in Egypt for over 400 years, and for them to actually get their minds around living as free men and women took time. And so you and I, it can take time, but we are free. God wants us to experience his grace and his peace. And again, Christ follower, if you're not experiencing grace and peace, you at least need to ask the question, am I running the race? Because you're not going to have grace and peace if you're not running the race. And if you haven't said yes to Christ, you're not going to have that either. Isn't it obvious that all runners on the racetrack keep on running to win? but only the one who receives the victor prize. Yet each one of you must run the race to be victorious. Uh, we looked in uh, Revelation, and if you look in the church, we use the word overcomers, to be overcomers. A true athlete will be disciplined in every respect, practicing constant self-control in order to win a laurel wreath that quickly withers. But we want a race to win a victor's crown that will last forever you know flowers wither every once in a while I send flowers to Cindy at work just to thank her for doing the job she does so I can do the job I do and um, you know I send them and uh, a good batch of flowers usually lasts about two weeks at her office and when I call the person, I'll say, you know, I don't, she go, what kind of flowers do you want? I've got, actually got an account with them, so I just call them in and uh, email a little note to send. And I'll say, uh, you know, give me $50 worth. Well, what do you want? I don't know, $50 worth, ones that last. 
And then sometimes he'll say, hey, I'm not getting a new load of fresh flowers until Friday. What if I wait till the new flowers come in Friday? That's what I want because it lasts longer. You and I are in a race to get flowers, if you will, and we want the flowers that last, not the ones that wither. So we ask ourselves, how are we running the race? What are we running towards? What are we doing with that? I don't know about you, but I'm running hard for the finish line, Paul writes. I'm giving it everything I've got. No sloppy living for me. I'm staying alert and in top condition. I'm not going to get caught napping, telling everyone else all about it and then missing out on it myself. In other words, he wants to be engaged. He doesn't want to just be playing a game. He just doesn't want to be presenting, run the race, run the race, run the race. And when the race is over, it re- everyone realizes he really wasn't running the race. Because a lot of that is internal. A lot of that is your heart. All of us, again, can go through this cultural race. We can look like Christians, smell like Christians, act like Christians for the most part, but it's not an expression of our hearts. It's halfway. It's not all the way. Also, we get this idea of identity, identity in Emmanuel. We have this line, they were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea, and it's that they identified with Moses. They followed his lead. They, he, he was their leader. And so the imagery for us as Christ followers today is our identity, our identity with Emmanuel. And some of us remember at Christmas time, we sing God with us, Emmanuel, Jesus is with us. And so our identity is that Jesus is with us. In a few, maybe a month or so, we're going to be having a baptism, and uh, you can read about it in your program And all that is about is it isn't about an act that saves you or makes you right with God. It's an expression that you've said yes to Christ and you are identifying with him. You are going public with your faith. You're saying, I am a Christ follower. I'm not a perfect Christ follower, but I am a Christ follower. So I want to identify. I want to go public. I want to identify with his death, burial, and resurrection. That's why at our church we use a full tank of water. We want you to go under the water. So it's symbolizing the death, burial, and resurrection for Christ. And it's identifying with him. It's saying, hey, I am a Christ follower. And um, Paul is saying these people, they were identified with Moses. They were following him. Most of the time they were following him. And uh, in Romans 6, again, we get this imagery, don't. Did you forget that all of us became a part of Christ Jesus when we were baptized? In our baptism, we shared in his death. So when we were baptized, we were buried with Christ, took part in his death. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by that wonderful power of the Father, so we can now live a new life. It's that imagery that we have going on there. So when you and I have been rescued to run the race, We have a new life, we have a new operating system, a new uh, purpose to live for him and to live for God means we love God and then we love others and we express that love for others in different ways how we are wired. Everything that we have, right thinking and right living, a clean slate and a fresh start comes from God by the way of Jesus Christ. 
And this just reminds us that, yes, there's lots of different religions out there. There's lots of different faiths out there. But we're going to say unapologetically but not in a mean-spirited way that we see that Christ is the only way to God. And if that wasn't the case, then we would say, what an unloving Heavenly Father to ask his son to die to make it possible for us to have forgiveness of sins and a relationship with him when he didn't have to die. And some of us are familiar with the story of when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night he's betrayed, the night before he's going to be crucified on the cross and go through that horrific night until the next day, he says, basically, God, is there a plan B? And God says, no, there is not a plan B. What does Jesus do? He says, I'm out of here. No, he says, if there's not a plan B, not my will, but thy will. And that would be in a, a horrific, abusive conversation if Jesus really didn't need to die. I mean, if he didn't need to die, what a horrible father. He asked for plan B. There is no plan B. Well, actually, there is a plan B. There's plan C. There's plan D. There's plan, you know, it would just be horrible. New life connected with God comes through Jesus' gift of life. That's why our purpose statement is around here. Uh, we want to make a difference in people's lives wherever they are by leading them into a growing relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's what we're trying to be about and then we find in this race and i just love this verse i probably read this verse three or four times a week it is in christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for i need to be reminded of that i need to be reminded of the race that god's called me to run long before we first heard of christ and got our hopes up he had his eye on us he had his design on us for glorious living for wonderful living purposeful living making a difference kind of living Part of the overall purpose he's working out in everything and everyone. So we also can have an overconfidence because of these things, and we go, oh, well, I've heard that before. No big deal. It doesn't resonate with us. It doesn't drive us to live any differently. There's also the area that we can see is to sustain, to satisfy. They all ate the same spiritual food. This is called, referring to the manna. And the meat and the water and this amazing ways that God provided for them water and the food and the bread. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them and that rock was Christ. All of that sustenance, sustained to satisfy, was found in Christ as their source. It's pointing to them. We could look at communion. We'll do this next week when we talk about the bread and the wine and what that represents. And in a sense, that symbolizes spiritual food. We don't believe that's literal spiritual food. We believe that reminds us that Christ gave his life, gave his body, and gave his shed blood so we could be sustained and have a relationship with him. And then when that happens, it's not only just being sustained by eating, but it's being sustained by letting that food process through our body and show up in action. When you and I eat a healthy meal, we're enabled to go do something. Um, 
Some of you, are, you know, who are runners and things like that, uh, you, you drink some of that goofy goo stuff. You ever seen that? You know, it's like it's like got like energy in it. You rip the top off and you squish this stuff in you and it's supposed to like sustain you. It's disgusting. But p- people who think it tastes good, they're not telling you the truth. They eat it because it's going to give them more energy so they can run hard or they eat one of those, you know, power bars that taste like bark. You know, I'm sorry. They they. They dress them up, and you're going to say, but Dave, have you tried this one? I've tried half of them, and they're all, don't taste like a good brownie. But anyway, um, so that you could get tonight if you come to the night of worship. But anyway, this whole idea that he sustains us so that we can actually take that food, make it into energy, and go do something. When you and I don't take that food, and we don't do something with it, we get fat, right? So... There were a lot of Christ followers that, uh, in a sense, are overconfident, go, oh, yeah, I got sustaining power through Jesus, but they never metabolize it into action. They just let it turn into fat, and that's unhealthy. So sustain to satisfy, sustain to do something else. And I love what Jesus says when he, uh, he says the real significance of that scripture is, Not that Moses gave you bread from heaven, but my father right now is offering you bread from heaven and the real bread. That bread of God came down out of heaven. It is giving life to the world. They jumped at that, Master. Give us this kind of bread now and forever. But they were looking more for a free lunch than the bread of life. Even Jesus is functioning this way when Jesus is talking with the woman at the well. The disciples go to get lunch for him. They get back, and and he seems to be, like, rejuvenated, like he already had a sandwich or something or had one of those power bars or one of those goofy goo things. seems to be coming alive again, and this is what Jesus says. The food that keeps me going is that I do the will of the one who sent me, finishing the work he started. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. He sees the people coming from his village back to visit him. He's looking at those people, and they look like a harvest field to him. And he says that's what energizes them. Not new stuff, not this stuff, not even real food. He says, yeah, you know, he's human. He's fully God, fully man. He has to eat. But he's saying the thing that really energizes me is doing the will of the Father. And if you don't feel energized as a Christ follower, if you feel, oh, humble, boring, lying, maybe, maybe, not always, but maybe it's that you're not doing the work he's called you to do, which ought to energize you and make you come alive. So overconfidence. Overconfidence is dangerous. It's dangerous to you personally, and it's dangerous to those that are around you. Next week, we're going to look into the idea that overconfidence also can be expressed through risky behavior. And we'll unpack that next week. Not only does it show contempt, not only do we take his blessings and misuse them, but we can find that that overconfidence can cause us to get involved with risky behavior, counterproductive behavior, behavior that moves us in a direction that is counterproductive to following Christ and making a difference in other people's lives. 
as I was trying to think of this, I was just thinking about this a little bit more. Confidence builds ships, while overconfidence sinks ships. The first thing you think of is the Titanic, right? Confidence built the ship, that was okay, but overconfidence sunk the ship. You know, things in life, the things in my life, I could probably pull up a couple stories where I had confidence that helped me get going. It was a healthy confidence. It was the right confidence. But then I became overconfident, and the bottom fell out. I didn't type this right, so there's a mistake in it, so bear with me. But good swimmers often drowned. They can help you with this. Fortunately, my Savior walks on water. Good swimmers, we hear those stories, this line where they're overconfident and that happens. Oh, they were such a good swimmer. But remember, your Savior walks on water. So confidence in God renews while overconfidence in self ruins. Next week, we'll take a deeper look at that. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you that you do give us options. Actually, sometimes I wish I didn't have options. Sometimes I wish you just kind of programmed me like a robot so I couldn't get into trouble. But there's other times I want options. So you've given us options. And Father, I ask as we start to look, as we get closer and closer to looking through this grid, this matrix, to looking at the options in our life, that you would help us to have good tools to take each option and maybe some options we haven't looked look at and think this through this process. Father, we ask for forgiveness where we've taken a trust, a confidence in you and misused it. We've allowed it to enable bad behavior, enabled um, just for us to sit and kind of live for ourselves, to not metabolize the sustenance you give us making us fat Christians. So, Lord, forgive us for that. Um, Help us to uh, have an integrity that draws those outside of faith to you because we're actually living what we talk about, what we claim. And, Father, if there's anyone here this morning that has not said yes to you, I ask that uh, they would be drawn to you and they would want you in their life and begin that life with you. And for again, for those of us who have said, would we run the race? No more sloppy living for us, we pray. We thank you in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.